Well, good morning, church family. Uh, and once again, I want to say thank you uh, for joining us here online. Uh, as you know, uh, our city and nation is continuing to struggle uh, through the season of uncertainty. Uh, but even through it, I've been so encouraged uh, to see our gathering continue to stay strong in the Lord, uh, that we've continued to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Uh, and I think in many ways, uh, this has actually brought so many of us uh, closer together as well. And so I just want to implore you, uh, once again, like I did last week, just keep going. Uh, keep centering your heart and your mind on Jesus and the things of the gospel. And, and whenever you're with others, and whenever you have that opportunity, uh, encourage them to do the same. Uh, there will be an end to this season. We have to keep that in mind. This will end. Uh, just like with every other season, uh, it'll come to an end. So let's take this uh, as an opportunity to grow in the Lord. Uh, well, two weeks ago, uh, we started a new sermon series called The Glorious Gospel. And essentially, uh, through this series, we've been considering the question, what is the gospel, so that you and I can have a greater understanding of what it means to be gospel-centered people. In other words, uh, the hope of this series is to help us as a gathering both know the gospel uh, and also to understand how we can live out the gospel uh, with our lives. And so to do that, we started by asking this question, uh, who is God? Who is God? Uh, that was week one. And, and what we saw through the scriptures is that God uh, is the holy, just, and gracious creator uh, of all things. Uh, God is holy. He is other. Uh, he is pure. He is set apart from his creation. Uh, and we know that he is also just. Uh, and that as a good judge, he sets free the innocent, but condemns the guilty. Uh, this is who God is. Well, then last week, we turned to the question, uh, who am I? Or who are we as uh, God's people or his creation? And we spent time uh, mostly looking through the book of Romans and a little bit of the book of Genesis. Uh, but what we found uh, was this. We sort of put a bottom line to it. We said, we are each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. Uh, that's who we are. We're each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. So yes, what that means is we are unique. Uh, we are made in God's image. Uh, we are set apart in God's creation. But at the same time, each and every one of us is guilty of sin. We have all turned from God uh, and instead turned to ourselves. And so in the end, uh, we were sort of left with this huge dilemma, this fundamental problem of the universe. How can a holy God save rebellious sinners who deserve his judgment. Uh, you know what's really interesting? Uh, while many people in, in this world uh, point their finger at God and ask things like, uh, how can a good God punish uh, good people? Or how can God let good people go to hell? Uh, the gospel actually asks something very different. Um, it actually asks, how can a good God save sinners. Um, how can God let guilty people into his kingdom and still be just? How can he still be holy uh, if, 
if he's going to be allowing sinful people or potentially allowing sinful people into his presence. That's what the gospel asks. It's sort of this big dilemma that we all have. Because here's what we know. Um, we talked about this against, again last week. Um, our sin separates us from God. And just one sin against a holy and just God uh, demands eternal separation from him. And that is very, very bad news for each and every one of us. We are unable uh, to save ourselves. We need saving. We need God to actually be merciful and gracious to us. But the good news of the gospel uh, is that that's exactly what God does. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today we're going to be discussing the sufficiency of Jesus. Uh, Again, we started this whole entire series asking the question, who is God? Uh, Last week we considered, uh, who are we? But today it's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. And we come to the question, Uh, How is Jesus unique? That's going to be our question or a leading question for us today. Uh, If you're taking notes, how is Jesus unique? You see, we all know that there are many religions in the world, right? And that they are all trying to answer life's critical questions. Uh, But among all of the faiths in the the world and all of the worldviews, my aim today is to show you that once you understand who God is and who we are, um, that you will realize that Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God. That's sort of where we're going today. It's going to serve as our bottom line, even though I'm telling you in the beginning. Um, We're going to realize today that Jesus alone— is able to remove our sin and restore us to God. Uh, Jesus is unique in this way, that only he can bring us back to God. That's the gospel truth uh, that I hope to show you through his word, that Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God, that Jesus Christ is the only way. And to do that, I want to show you two main reasons uh, why Jesus is unique. Uh, he's unique in so many other ways, but we're going to sort of sum it up in that way. And we're, we're going to sort of spend the majority of our time considering those two reasons. And, and the first that I want to share with you today is this. Jesus is unique, number one, uh, because of who he is. I know that sounds simple, but uh, follow along with me. Jesus is unique because of who he is. Uh, And and who is Jesus? Well, uh, there are two major aspects that we see in the scriptures. First, we see that Jesus is human, okay? Uh, It sort of serves as letter A under point one. Uh, Jesus was human. You know, it's so interesting to me uh, that even amongst secular scholars and and non-Christians, Jesus is so admired for, for being the person that he was. Uh, It would actually, I think, uh, be difficult to find a person who has studied Jesus' life and say that he was anything short of a great teacher uh, and a a good man. Uh, And we see as a person, right, we know this from Scripture, Jesus was loving, Jesus was kind, he helped the cause of the poor and and the needy, Uh, he made friends with the neglected and the weak, 
He was always spending time with the despised and the rejected. Uh, He even loved his enemies uh, regardless of what they did against him. Jesus was so humble, right? He embodied humility, actually, and he taught other people to live in this same way. Uh, But while Jesus was clearly a man, I don't think anybody really disagrees with that point, Uh, even though he was a human being, just like you and me, uh, even though he grew tired, that Jesus needed to eat, that he he slept, that he he wept, he faced trials and, and temptations, what we also see is that Jesus was or Jesus is God. There's so much evidence uh, we could look to to make this point. Uh, But let's consider uh, Jesus' extravagant claims about himself. You know, time and time again throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus setting himself apart from everyone else. For example, uh, he claimed to be the good shepherd who went out into the desert to uh, seek his lost sheep. Uh, But in that, he was implying that the world was lost, that he wasn't, and that he alone could seek and save it. Uh, We know another time that he said that everybody else was in darkness and that he was the light of the world, right? And so he claimed that everybody else was hungry another time and that he was the bread of life. Uh, Another time, he even went as far to say that everybody else was sinful, and that he could forgive their sins. He was always saying things like, I am this, or I am that, right? He told people to come to him, to follow him, and that if they did, they would receive rest for their souls. He said another time, if you would just believe in me, uh, that I will relieve all of your burdens, right? I can keep on going. Right? Multiple times he spoke in a way where he put himself on heaven's throne. Right? He, he spoke uh, that all the nations of the world will stand before him one day, uh, making himself the central figure on the day of judgment. Um, these are breathtaking claims. Right? This man, Jesus, we know, again, he was a simple carpenter from a, a no-name city, Nazareth. And yet this man was claiming to be the savior and judge of all humankind. We see this all throughout his ministry. So certainly, uh, Jesus himself, uh, he believed that he was unique. And so for us, all of this leads to the simple conclusion that either these claims that Jesus said about himself are true, uh, or they are false. And there's really no in-between. You know, C.S. Lewis once famously said this. He said, I am trying to prevent people from saying the very foolish thing, that I am ready to accept him as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing that we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit, him, spit at him as a demon, Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. Simply put, what C.S. Lewis was saying is that Jesus is either uh, a liar, he's either a lunatic, or he was Lord. And he really didn't give us uh, any other option. There is no one like Jesus. Uh, He is God in the flesh, displaying the beauty and greatness of God. That is who he is and who he claimed to be. And when there was no hope for guilty sinners before a holy God, when there was no path to reconciliation between mankind and the creator of this entire universe, God loved us so much that he did not send this random person or some human prophet even. Uh, He didn't bring an unclear uh, message or strange messenger. No, in love, God came to us himself. God does not display his greatness by keeping his distance from us, but by coming directly to us. This is the message of the gospel. Uh, This is the good news, that God has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ, fully man, fully God. Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God because of who he is. And then second, what I want to show you, to show you today is that Jesus is unique not just because of who he is, but also because of what he has done. Because of what he has done. Now, uh, we could literally spend the rest of our lives talking about what Jesus did while he was on the earth. Right? Even at the end of John's gospel, he wrote this. He said, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written, right? And so, in other words, Jesus did a lot of significant things during his life, Uh, but we're going to attempt to put all of those things into uh, three distinct categories, and we're going to start here. First of all, uh, what has Jesus done? First, we know that Jesus lived the life that we could not live. Jesus lived the life that we could not live. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to the book of 1 John, chapter 3. Uh, We're going to be looking really briefly at verse 5. I encourage you, uh, underline this verse, uh, circle it, uh, memorize it. Uh, This is, again, the Apostle John uh, writing to us. Uh, This is one of Jesus' closest followers, one of his 12 disciples. Uh, And this is what he says about Jesus He says this, But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And then follow this. This is such an important phrase. And in him is no sin. Do you understand that? Uh, Do you get that? Jesus appeared. He came to take away sins. And in him is no sin. Jesus is a man. But he is set apart from every other man and every other woman in history because he never sinned. He, unlike us, never rebelled against God. He never turned away from the Father. And that doesn't mean that he wasn't tempted to sin, 
right? That's important for us to know. Uh, Jesus was fully tempted by sin. He was actually tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin, right? That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And we see an example of this in in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus faces the fullness of temptation in the wilderness, right? But yet, even in that season, even in that time, he never turns his heart away from the Father. And so again, uh, Jesus is unique because he fully triumphed over sin. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father, and he never wavered. He was perfect. And understand what that means. That because Jesus never sinned, the result of that is that he alone is able to be a substitute for the human condition, for human sin. Think through this with me just for a minute. Um, What human being could pay the price, uh, could pay the debt for sins? if they themselves are also sinners, right? That wouldn't make any sense, right? What I'm getting at is a a guilty person cannot pay the price for guilty people, right? They would need their debt paid for as well. And and so as the perfect one, as the God-man, Jesus was, you might say, fit to do what no other person could do. What no other religion, no other philosophy could ever accomplish. No one before him or after him has been able to stand in the gap and be a substitute for men and women in their sin. Only an infinite God in the flesh could pay the infinite price due to people in their sin. Only Jesus could satisfy the divine wrath and judgment of God. And that's exactly what he did. Jesus came and lived a life that we could not live. Second, what makes Jesus unique? Well, we know that uh, Jesus died the death that we deserved to die, right? That's one of the things that he, he did. Uh, Jesus died the death that we deserved to die. And let me just start by saying this. Uh, that this is particularly unique because of the emphasis that Jesus himself and his followers put on Jesus' death, right? You look at other uh, religious leaders uh, that you can read about or hear about in this world, um, and you see that uh, for all of them, their death was actually a tragic end to their story, right? The focus is always on their lives, on their teaching, and on their example, right? Um, Whether it's Mohammed, who died at the age of 62, or Confucius, who died at 72, or the Buddha, who died at 80, or even Moses, who died at 120 years old, right? All of these leaders' deaths marked the end of their mission. But with Jesus, it's sort of the opposite, actually. That Jesus was constantly talking about his death, Uh, He was always looking towards that day and that hour. And that's why even today, one of the central symbols of uh, Christianity, of our faith, is what? Uh, It's a cross, right? We still today look to that symbol of death. Um, Even in our worship, 
uh, in our time of praise together. We sing about the death of Jesus. Right? In communion, when we take communion together, the, the bread and the cup, we remember the body and the blood, remembering his death. Uh, in baptism, another ordinance, we recognize and share in Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so what is so significant about his death? Right? Why is it unique? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Peter is saying there that Jesus took on the payment for our sins in his body on the cross. Uh, you might recall, again, last week we looked at Romans 6 and we learned that the payment for sin is death. That we die both physically and spiritually because of our sin. But Jesus had no sin, right? So why did he die? Well, the gospel tells us that Jesus actually chose to die in our place for our sins and for our shame. And what could be better news than this, right? Think about it with me. Um, last week, what we said was that essentially the, the essence of sin is the self. It's man substituting himself for God, right? It's when we put ourselves on the throne of our lives, uh, when we choose to remain at the center of our lives. Or you might say it this way, uh, we put ourselves where only God deserves to be. Now, that's what it is to sin. But then listen, look at what God does. It's so beautiful. Uh, while that is true of sin, the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. It's God sacrificing himself for man. And God puts himself where only man deserves to be. Right? This is what sets Jesus' death apart from every other death that has ever occurred in history. Jesus' death solves the universal human dilemma that while you and I were sinners, rebels against God, when you and I were dead in our sin, while we deserved total and final separation from God, Jesus died in our place. So, is God just toward sin? Absolutely, right? Look at the cross. And is God loving and gracious towards sinners at the same time? Absolutely, right? Look at the cross. Jesus died the death we deserve to die. And if that isn't good news uh, enough, uh, there is more to the story, right? This is not, of course, where Jesus' story ends. We know, again, Jesus lived a life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve to die. And finally, we know that Jesus conquered the enemy that we cannot conquer. Uh, Jesus conquered the enemy that we cannot conquer. Turn with me uh, really quickly to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. We know that Jesus' death in itself was a victory. Uh, actually, Colossians chapter 2 tells us that our debt, 
our sin was nailed to the cross and that Jesus triumphed on that day through his death. But while the cross was the victory won, what we also see is that the resurrection is the victory declared. If the cross is the victory won, the resurrection, or Jesus' resurrection, is the victory declared. Uh, Look at this text with me. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Christianity stands or falls on this incredible truth, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, on the reality that Jesus is alive. Uh, If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, uh, we are wasting our time uh, we are wasting our lives. There's, there's no point in gathering here uh, in this physical space or online. You're wasting your time. Uh, we're actually to be pitied if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Uh, but on the other hand, if Jesus did rise from the dead, uh, if he died and three days later rose from the grave, bodily rose from the grave, then we know that Jesus is Lord over both life and death. Because again, Who can determine when they live or when they die? Uh, We said that last week, right? No one determines when they are born, right? Nobody. Um, And when your heart uh, stops, when it it beats for the last time, right? When you're dead, um, you cannot say, okay, uh, I'm ready to come back to life, right? Nobody can do that. And so if Jesus did do that, if he rose from the dead, which the gospel says he did, and I certainly believe that he did, then what that means is that he has all authority. That he is Lord over life, he is Lord over death, he is Lord over sin, and he is Lord over Satan. It means that Jesus has conquered it all. Let me share these, really, uh, these two really strong scriptures with you. The first one comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 55. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the author of Hebrews writes this in uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all uh, their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. If Jesus rose from the dead, then he is Lord over life and death. He is Lord over Satan and sin, and he is Lord over you and me. The resurrection shouts loud and clear that Jesus rules and reigns supremely, but also that he loves us deeply. Uh, Jesus came to live a life that we could never live. He came to die a death that we deserve to die. And he came to conquer the enemy that we could never conquer. And he did all of this to save you and me 
for, from our sins for the glory of God. There is no one like Jesus. He is absolutely unique. And his life, his death, and his resurrection alone are sufficient to remove our sin and restore us to God. So the question that we end with today is, uh, if all that's true, and certainly I hope you believe that that's true, how can we take uh, these gospel truths and weave them into the fabric of our lives? Uh, How can we be gospel-centered people in light of who Jesus is and what he has done? So let me just tell you a a few practical things that you can do, Uh, just two of them this week. First and foremost, and this is so simple, uh, I hope it's actually really obvious to you if you're a follower of Jesus at this point, uh, but this is so central to the life of a gospel-centered person. Uh, Number one, let me encourage you to simply intentionally talk about Jesus. Uh, Intentionally talk about Jesus. Uh, it's, It's that simple. You talk about what you care about. I'm sure that you've heard that phrase. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. Um, so, if you care about Jesus, if you believe the gospel, if you understand uh, this transformational truth, talk about Jesus. Gospel-centered people talk about Jesus. You know, I fear uh, that so many of us speak so little about Jesus outside of our gatherings. Uh, but you should be continuously talking about the person of Jesus Christ. And, and let me encourage you as well. Let's move away from uh, this sort of generalized, non-offensive, vague uh, God talk. Uh, and let's move towards speaking bold truths about who Jesus is and what he has done. Uh, share about his example for us. Share about how Jesus sympathizes with us and identifies with us. Uh, Tell people about his death and his resurrection, uh, that he calms the winds and waves so that there is nothing to fear. Uh, Share that he is intimately involved in our needs, uh, that he cares for us. Uh, Take the time to share with somebody about about his love, about his grace, about his power, about his authority. Right? On and on and on. Uh, let me encourage you, if you're a gospel-centered person, uh, to find opportunities to talk about Jesus. That should almost be natural to you, actually. And then finally, uh, let me encourage you, uh, if you want to weave these truths about Jesus into your life, to never stop talking about your thankful hope in Christ. Uh, let me say that again. Never stop talking about your thankful hope in Jesus Christ. Uh, This is a simple question for you uh, today, Uh, but are you thankful for Jesus and the cross? Um, Are you thankful for the restoration that you have been freely given? Uh, Are you thankful that he died for you, that he paid your debt, that he loves you? Uh, And is that thankfulness apparent And is that thankfulness clear in the way that you live your life? And what about hope, right? Are you a person of hope? Would people define you as a hope-filled person? Uh, And where is your hope found? You could ask yourself this. 
because the gospel message, right, is that our hope is found in the resurrection and the resurrection alone. And that means that we can be confident through our trials and encouraged in, in and through every circumstance because we know that hope is not ultimately found in this life. That in a very real way, our hope even transcends death. Right? We have hope because Jesus Christ is risen. Right? Amen? Uh, do you believe that today? And is it clear that you have that hope by how you are living your life? The gospel truth is this. God is the holy, just, and gracious creator of all things. We are each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. And Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God because of who he is and because of what he has done. Now, will you uh, take the time to join me for this intentional time of prayer?